person that come to your company yeah. and say, "Hey, Ian, yeah, yeah. what do you do again?" Oh, I use you. <laughs> you never know what you never know what business development. Is. Welcome to episode 130 of Rockstar CMO FM. M is the marketing and the F is the well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rockstar, but I've picked up a thing or two over them in the last 20 years on my tour from techie to CMO and trusted advisor. And each week, I chat to the true rockstars, my fabulous guests and chums, and share with you some marketing street knowledge that I hope will inspire your inner rockstar. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn and proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode was recorded on Friday the 2nd of September 2022. Where is this year going? Hope you've had a good week. You are well safe and staying the same as you feel you need to be. On this week's episode, Jeff Clark and I chat about growth and product marketing in the marketing studio. I go backstage with startup marketing expert and podcast host Seth Goldstein, and I wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. On to our first segment, the Marketing Studio with Jeff Clark, Rockstar CMO Advisor and former Forrester Serious Decisions Research Director. This week, we chat about product marketing for growth. Welcome back, Jeff, to Rockstar CMO FM, the Rockstar CMO FM studio. studio yes. With Jeff Clark. Yes, here with our studio musicians. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? And you've been on holiday, uh, even though you very kindly gave me a little extra that I could add into last week's show. Yes, we're not so supposed to let the listeners know that we're, when we're not actually in the studio. But I uh, did, yes, I, I was uh, yeah. off on the coast of Maine, you know, northern mm. New England, um, yes. right on the water, uh, looking out at a beautiful view and uh, disconnected from uh, most yes. of the rest of the world. Yes, including the editor of Rockstar CMO. So that's <laughs> fantastic. It was such a great so, week because of that. <laughs> so you're completely unplugged, and you know, you, I mean, we, you know, our obsession with the weather. We need to start there. What, what was the weather like? How was your break? It, so the weather was great because, for one, it mm-hmm. was uh, it was a lot cooler than um, in the the heat of the the valley. As a matter of fact, it was yeah. it was hot until we basically got to the coast, and then it's just like yeah. it dropped, you know, nice. ten fifteen degrees Fahrenheit. And mm-hmm. uh, and um, you know, as as they always say in Maine, if you don't like the weather, uh, just wait because it'll change. And so I would be <laughs> out on my kayak, and all of a sudden the fog rolls in. And I'm like, geez, you know, I don't want to get run over by a lobster boat. And then, uh, you know, so I would park myself and then the fog would lift. I'd be like, oh, okay. Beautiful. Off to go. Beautiful. That sounds splendid. So, um, and when you, when you came back, I'm assuming you didn't pick that up when you were away because you were completely unplugged. I actually picked it up um, before I went away. <laughs> oh, did you? Oh, splendid. Well, the topic for this week is what you picked up. And um, this week we're going to talk about an article from your old chums over at Forrester. Um, Four tips on finding and spearheading new strategies for growth by Beth Kaplow, one of your old chums, right? Mm-hmm. VP of something and analyst over, senior analyst over there. VP of something <laughs> and directing something. And <laughs> oh, I didn't check my notes. That's, sorry. Let me let me be let me let me be a bit more polite. She is a VP and principal analyst at Forrester. Yes, right. Do it properly. I can't can't go offending Forrester. Um, 
And what I and when you shared this article with me, actually, what I quite liked about it is um, is she talks about ask any product or portfolio marketer if they think their role is to help the organization grow. And they'll certainly say yes. So from us, Jeff, there's no objection, objection to that, right? So a marketer that's focused on growth. Great. And then she says, but the reality is that one more round of messaging or one more white paper or video contributes only marginally to that goal. So basically she's saying we marketers just jump back on the hamster wheel, ignore the fact that we think we need to do growth. Don't look at what we're doing and just run and run and run and run. And and as long as we're getting fed our hamster meal, (laughs) we are okay with that. Cool. So we'll get onto that in a moment because I'm really interested in why we think that people is how do we actually get our focus back onto growth and, and get off of this hamster wheel. But firstly, just for some of the listeners, I don't know if they are aware of the terms that Forrester use in terms of product marketing and portfolio marketing. What what do they mean by the term portfolio marketing? So portfolio, it's just trying to generically speak to you know, various forms of products, services, industry, yeah. segment, you know, business. So, yeah. so to me, it's kind of a misnomer in that, you know, we associate these individuals with particular, you know, whatever their, whatever their domain is, a product or something mm-hmm. like that. But the, but really their focus should be on the customer and understanding, mm-hmm. you know, the customer in relation to your, your offerings. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yes, but portfolio is meant to be, you know, it doesn't nothing to do with as we were, you know, talking beforehand about stationary or your 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 <laughs> you know, your investment portfolio or any of those other things. It's just trying to again genericize the a type of title because I think that the you know, the 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 role is very similar and certainly the sort of advice we were giving to people about um about how to you know, the best practices right. related to, you know, product marketing, industry marketing, et cetera, et cetera. Right. right. So, I mean, are the terms interchangeable? So if we're going to talk about product marketing, we could talk about portfolio yes. marketing in the same same kind of way. Okay. that's That makes sense. So let's get going then. Um, so if we're going to jump off our hamster wheel and contribute to growth, which is what we all want to do, where do we start then? It, and, and, you know, a lot of the... Um, in in particular, uh, you know, Beth's blog really kind of starts focusing on what the obstacles are, which is, yeah. which is, you know, as you, you say, they, they want to keep you on the wheel, turning out those white mm-hmm. papers. But it's like you know, you really want to step back and you know, kind of like in any role, it's like if you if you feel like you're not contributing to to the company yeah. that the way you you know you think you should be, then you know, let's take back, let's take a broader perspective and and for the you know product or portfolio marketer, you really want to start with the customer needs and determine, mm-hmm. you know, do we have unmet needs out there? Uh, and, 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 you know, you, you may be asked to, you know, see, you know, how are we going to grow to a certain, you know, uh, revenue level or how are we going to grow this product, whatever. And, and again, you want to like take the focus off of the product for a moment and then go back mm-hmm. to the customer and say, you know, does our target buyer that we're focused on, um, you know, do they have additional needs that we're not meeting so we could actually grow our wallet share with, right. within that buyer? Does the organization, you know, do they have other buying centers with with either needs that we can service that are similar, with similar products and services we offer, or something mm-hmm. similar, which, you know, kind of getting into that land and expand you know i'm i'm focused on yeah. hr but can i can i get over into you know manufacturing yeah. can i get over into you know some other other department within the organization you know or you know are there other organizations in other markets that have similar needs mm-hmm. so i'm saying you know if i'm focused on legal uh the legal market can i actually you know step back and say well you know there are other firms like accounting, et cetera, et cetera, that, that might have similar needs. Um, so how do I serve them? So it's always just trying to like start from that initial understanding that you're successful with in terms of understanding mm-hmm. buyer needs and see how you can grow that, that out and, and, and make that the engine that, uh, yeah. or, or say the input that's the engine to your growth. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I like that. And because you're talking about needs in terms of market needs rather than needs in a specific account, right? So when you're, I mean, I'm always a big advocate of creating personas based on needs, right? And, and clustering people based on needs. So it's kind of revisiting that, isn't it? It's just say, presuming that you've done that process yeah, of yeah, revisiting yeah. what the, the needs are of, around the whole, whole persona. And then, um, where in your target accounts you can expand into from your current, you know, your normal sponsor or your normal department you go into, and then where you've been successful in a particular segment or category or industry is then how can you move out of that, right? Yeah. I think that's interesting because normally marketers and sales, we often think the other way around though, don't we? We're normally very slow to focus like that. So do you find that organizations find themselves in that position where they have that focus and there is an opportunity to grow? Well, you, you know, you, the thing is, I think, you know, if you're, like you, you said correctly, it's like, you know, you focus on a persona because the persona mm. has a particular buying need. And it's like, but, yeah. but usually you end up locking in on that persona is a certain yeah. set of titles in a certain yeah. set of accounts. And then you get yeah. salespeople who are good at, you know, selling to, yeah. uh, you know, just HR in manufacturers or, yeah. or shop floor control in many. And it's like, yeah. okay, well, you know, there's other, you know, and, and I certainly, and it's a number of companies that I, you know, I've worked for. It's like, you'd say, mm-hmm. okay, you know, we're doing a certain thing and we're successful in manufacturing, but mm-hmm. you know, there's people in retail that actually would approach, you know, this, the, their yeah. workforce the same way. And there's actually people in healthcare. So we need mm-hmm. to be, we need to be, you know, broadening the scope out and then yeah. thinking about what are our obstacles to, to get us to those other, um, you know, unmet needs, again, which could be different people within the same account. It could be different yeah. accounts. It could be different markets. I mean, it it it, uh, it can be expanded a number of ways, but that's the, the mm-hmm. easiest way to develop a path to growth as opposed to going off and, you know, coming up with right. some you know, some, you know, brand new wild strategy that has nothing to do with your existing business. Right, right, right. So I understand that's, that's cool. But we'd still recommend that people focus first, then move out, right? Yes. From from that, right? Yeah. So that's the first tip is to look at the unmet needs around your target audience and and the market. So what's the next step? Well, the next step is, is to get the best available market sizing data so yeah. you know so it's so again once you've determined that there's some areas that you can branch out yeah. to get those unmet needs and then the, the next question is going to be well how big a market is that and mm. and and oftentimes and i think you know uh, you and i in our in our probably our experience um, when we yeah. were together at a aforementioned a, a previously mentioned company we won't bring up today uh, <laughs> said, you know, it'd be like, well, what's the size of that market? How big can it be? Yeah. And, and it's, and, and, and sometimes, you know, you're reluctant as a product marketer, you may be reluctant to say, well, I don't have really good data, mm-hmm. or maybe have incomplete data to really yeah. understand what the size of that market would be. Yeah. But you, you know, you want to work with the data that you've got available to make the best guesses yeah. and not worry too much about you know, being a hundred percent accurate, you know, you're trying to say, you know, what's our, you know, total address, what's out there, what's the total mm-hmm. addressable market, what's our total serviceable market. So what do we yeah. think we could actually service? And then if we're thinking about how this might be a multi-year plan to get us to our growth, well, what's, mm-hmm. what should our target be, you know, mm-hmm. this year, next year, you know, as we're, as we're building this out, and, and, um, you know, I mean, you know, frankly, it's one of these things where, you know, if you don't feel you've got the data, then it's like, you gotta go, you know, go to the yeah. analysts, go to the, yeah. you know, go to any sort of, uh, resources you have to see if you can find the best available data. Yeah. And I know, I know one of the things I, I just had an early experience when in my, my short term in product marketing, where it's like the. <laughs> We had come up with a, an add-on product to a platform, and the VP mm-hmm. of product was absolutely determined that we need to make sh- we need to let people know this is a big opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And so we made some you know wild ass guesses yeah. that 
a lot of people in the rest of the company said, hmm, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think so. Um, and, and, and so I certainly realized that it's like rather than the wild ass guest, you want to <laughs> make a, yeah. a, a more educated guest. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, given what I know today, I would have, I would have done a better job at, uh, at, uh, yeah. creating with a better guest. I th- well, I think that, um, I think it's often overlooked and completely forgotten off, uh, often because I think what often <laughs> happens to us marketers is the product exists or the product gets developed or somebody has an idea and then it's go take that to market. And there isn't that. I mean, um, I'm having a, conversa- a, a conversation that will go live in next week's show <laughs> with, a, with a CMO that I just recorded this week. And he was talking about the fact, um, uh, Andrew Davis from Paddle, and he was talking about that he likes to look at this from top down. Start off with what's a total addressable market, total serviceable market, rather than start with having a solution to a problem that you haven't defined and know yeah. whether anybody wants to buy, right? So I think that's really interesting. So, and it, it's so often overlooked. So I think the addressable marketing is so important. That's and cool. and so, you know, if you do, if you if you do, yeah. um, if you take it from both directions, sort of top down yeah. and then and then, yeah, bottom yeah. up from the current what your current yeah. uh, state is, then yeah. that's how you sort of figure out what the what the gaps are. Yeah. You know, how do we get from you know here we are point A into where we think we can be in yeah. you know in two or three years. With yeah. that total addressable market, and then, um, and then and then you start solving for those gaps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's the first two steps. One of them is to d- determine the unmet needs, both in your persona, in the market, in the industries that you're looking at. Then get some great data about what that addressable market looks like. So, what's your third idea? Don't let the executives call <laughs> the, the shots, which actually relates to my my previous uh, example. Um, yeah. Executive not mentioned either, um, yeah. but it's like you know you and, and you know many of us have been in companies where you know the CEO is going to say you know we got to get to a billion yeah. in you know three yeah. years or we got to get to. Yeah. A certain you know revenue, yeah. and it's yeah. it and and often and what it's really one of the companies I work at, the CEO was was one of his failings was always making big ass goals that mm-hmm. that um, uh, that were hard to attain, and it, it was mm-hmm. and the, the idea was being it makes you work harder. So even though I know you're not going to get to that goal, <laughs> no. I know you're going to work your tail off to get yeah. to you know as best as you can. Uh, yeah. You know, so there's a, I, I guess there's a certain strategy involved in that, but the, yeah. but I think the thing is that, you know, if you're, if, again, if you're in this portfolio product marketing role and mm-hmm. you're trying to take some charge of understanding how to help the company grow, mm-hmm. then you need to develop the knowledge about, you know, how your, you know, products and yeah. services can, can serve the market and, and, you know, be the one who mm-hmm. is armed with the data you know, and the and the and the rational thinking to get to yeah. those goals. So either, you know, if if the executives are making big goals, you can either help them. It's like, okay, okay, let's let's take this into its little pieces and let's say, yeah. here's how we could get to that goal. And then, yeah. as you get into the details, you can see where either the, the whether the goal is not correct or mm-hmm. whether there is actually is a path to get there or there's a path to get to something that is on the way to that, you know, bigger ass mm-hmm. goal that yeah. is, that becomes realistic. And, you know, and again, you know, solving for, you know, what are the issues, do, you know, like mm-hmm. if, if we go back to the, the example of, you know, we were selling into manufacturing and now we got to move over into retail and then we got to move over into healthcare. It's like, okay, so does that require new salespeople? It certainly requires yeah. new positioning, understanding, you know, a, a need, even though it's the same need in a different market, they're going to use different terms. They're going to talk about it differently. There may be different pain points that cause that need. So all that's got to be built out as well as making sure the rest of the organization has right. the tools to actually, right. you know, uh, you know, take advantage right. of that opportunity and turn it into revenue. Yeah, but that, I mean, to your point about not letting the executives call the shots, I mean, that's really so so connected to the marketing sizing data isn't it is as you, to to your point is quite often you'll work with a ceo that has a revenue aspiration for the company and has a target which is potentially completely unrelated to what the market size is yeah. for that product right and so it might be that they're looking for 50 percent penetration in the market with their product in year one which is going to be ridiculous right yeah. so that's i think um, that top-down approach of look at the market size before you start determining what those targets are, right? And CEOs sometimes don't do that. 
Yeah, or you know, or the head of sales might say, you know, all I just I, if I you know I, I've got you know fifty reps who are bringing yeah. in whatever a couple yeah. million dollars a year or so whatever whatever the the ratio yeah. is, and it's oh if I add three more reps I get exactly. to this amount, or if I add ten more yeah. reps I get, or yeah. you know you know and and every every you know, person running their part of the business may have their own mm-hmm. metrics by which they think they mm-hmm. can get to a certain level of growth, whether they're in sales, yeah. service, product, and it's like okay you. So we, we, you know, we've got to look at the market and the realities um, before we actually, um, you know, determine what we think those goals should be. Yeah. And it's the same with not just with the core products, but with the add-ons, I think is the point you were making earlier on and and your example of, you know, it may not, it may be only 20% or 10% of of your market choose that add-on because they're using a competitive product already. So you're right. flying in the or you're, face of that. Yeah, or you're getting into, in that particular case, you're getting into a space that has much mm. bigger competitors doing yeah. things yeah. that that the customer is going to uh, take advantage of before they look at your little yeah. add-on. Yeah, 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 cool. So so those are fir- the first three. I think you started str- straying into your fourth, if I look at my notes here. so I could be first... straying into my fourth. <laughs> <laughs> so we've determined the unmet me needs. We've gone back to our data. We've pushed back against the executives, which is often uh, easier said on a podcast than it is to do. But we've given that a go. Absolutely. But what's the fourth point? That we Building need? How cons- do we make this happen? consensus. Yes. And mm. um, so... So particularly again, you know, we were, we were mentioning a number of different types of mm-hmm. executives from different, you know, different uh, functions, yeah, and it's yeah. like you really want to get everybody on board. So mm-hmm. you know, you know, in your product marketing role, being the person who is you know socializing, you know, getting the right data, doing the proper yeah. sizing, the opportunity, understanding the total addressable yeah. market, serviceable market, et cetera, determining what the get you know. And again, when mm-hmm. you're working with the different functions, it's like okay, mm-hmm. what is, what's the gap for us to get? into that new vertical or yeah. what's the gap for us to get to that new buyer. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you want to help them solve the problem and mm-hmm. lay the roadmap out because typically these yeah. things are not, you know, it's not, you know, we're doing this, you know, one thing this year or next year, mm-hmm. we're going to succeed at expanding mm-hmm. our market with a whole new strategy. It usually takes, mm-hmm. you know, years to, to come to fruition. So it's like, you yeah. got to build a roadmap of how we're going to get to, you know, hitting those 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 growth goals, and yeah. um, and it's all about consensus building. And certainly, you know, product mm. marketers and even product managers. We didn't really get into the the difference there, but it's like mm. those are probably two roles that are really um, mm. essential for consens- consensus building across multiple yeah. functions. Yeah, but it's quite tricky, isn't it? Because, like you said just a moment ago, if you're moving into a different um, uh, market or industry, then you don't know whether those skills exist in the sales team in order to address that. There's going to be a different language that that industry uses to the one you're existing. There's, there's a sales enablement issue yeah, right there. Absolutely. There's, there's addressing all of those gaps. Right. Okay. And then you say, finally, to build that roadmap, right? That is what you just said, to, to address those gaps. So that's splendid. So so those are the four points to turn our portfolio of product marketers into little growth engines rather than <laughs> running around on their hamster Chug, wheels. chug, chug, chug. Yeah. <laughs> so determining the unmet needs, I'll, I'll um, summarise like I always do when we've got a list. We love a list. Uh, determine the unmet needs of your persona and your industry. Uh, get the best available marketing sizing data, which I think should be number one, really, almost there, shouldn't it? And then uh, don't let the executives call the shots. Good luck with that one. And, and <laughs> the fourth one to build consensus because you're going to need friends. Once you, you push if anybody wants to call us for uh, counseling advice <laughs> <laughs> with the executives. Uh, all right. So, that, so we've done the weather in Maine. We've done the, we've done the topic. The last item on our agenda in the studio is what song are you picking this week, mate? Salisbury Hill by Peter Gabriel and, and uh, you know, reluctantly mm-hmm. we dipped back into the 70s. This was from 1977, but, you know, <laughs> this was, uh, he was talking about, you know, being part of the machinery and and uh, mm-hmm. a trip he took, you know, walking up Salisbury Hill to determine what he wanted to be his next role in his career. It's actually very autobiographical in his, you know, in his mm-hmm. own little way. But I, it's a great song about, it's a great song, one, it's a great song about personal change. So I mm-hmm. thought it was very appropriate. 
Yeah, from 1977. And, and as we were preparing to record, I, I made out that I'd never heard of it. <laughs> and, then, and, then, uh, and then when I played it, it's like a, a song from my youth for sure. So um, I shall play out with Salisbury Hill by Peter Gabriel from 1977. And most importantly, will I see you in the Martin studio with Jeff Clark next week? I'll be here. Because <laughs> like, I'll always be here with me. So <laughs> whether you're here or not is another question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate, I look forward to it. I'll see you next week. Okay, cheers. cheers so I went from day to day. My life was in a rut. Till I thought of what I'd say. Which connection I should cut. I was feeling part of the scenery. I walked right out of the machinery. Thank you, Jeff. That was Salisbury Hill by Peter Gabriel from 1977. Get in touch with us through our website, rockstarcmo.com. If you have any suggestions or comments about the topics we discuss, we would love to hear from you. Time to go backstage with my guest. Seth Goldstein is the founder and principal creative director at Goldstein Media, a full service digital marketing agency located just north of Philadelphia in historic Doylestown, Pennsylvania. As you'll hear, recovering journalist Seth specialises in helping startups and biotechnology life sciences companies get found online using digital marketing strategies. He's a fellow podcaster with two podcasts, Entrepreneurs Enigma and Digital Marketing Dive, and for almost a decade has published the popular Marketing Junto newsletter. And he's a really nice chap. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Seth, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm doing great, Ian. Splendid, splendid. And um, you're a fellow podcaster like me on the Marketing Podcast Network. Um, but aside from that, for people that don't know you, Seth, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am a former recovering, well, I'm a recovering journalist, <laughs> also known as former journalist, turned digital marketer. So some people say I joined the dark side. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I joined the light side because th- journalism was kind of wacky. Um, did newspapers for six years out of college, did some sales in between, then went into digital marketing, and haven't looked back. Fifteen years later, I'm still doing Goldstein Media. So, based yeah. out of Philadelphia, wife, child, dog, living the American dream, I guess. <laughs> living the dream. Uh, and I was going to ask you about that. Well, I'll ask you about your background as well in a moment. But you founded Goldstein Media um, almost 15 years ago, LinkedIn told me. Yeah. Um, tell us what it is that you do in, as, during so the So Goldstein day. Media started as a way for me to get the experience, to get the job, to get the experience, to get the job. <laughs> wow. and, I, and I forgot to get the job. <laughs> and I just kind of kept going. Uh-huh. I did do a brief, brief foray in, at Merck. For, in their social media department for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. But other than that, there's version one of Goldstein Media and there's version two of Goldstein Media with that little foray into corporate America where I realized I do not like corporate America that much. Mm-hmm. It's wow. a whole different beast. <laughs> and so Goldstein Media, we specialize in doing website design, SEO, some SEM, some pay, paid marketing online. We do a lot of digital marketing strategy for companies email marketing and we've dabbled in podcast production for some people because they see that we do podcasts and they're like can mm-hmm. you help us out so it's more mm-hmm. strategy with them than actually editing their podcast thank god because mm-hmm. that could be a nightmare and in our <laughs> special nice saturday mornings yeah, exactly <laughs> it's, you know mine's like literally i do the podcasts yeah i edit them right away because if i don't i forget where i want to get rid of yeah. the silly the silly bits yeah so but I yeah so leave those bits in <laughs> oh yeah, that's i know i leave a lot of them in but sometimes there's like I'll say something, mm-hmm. and I'll and I'll and I'll elaborate for them, mm-hmm. but it, it's smoother if I get rid of that yeah. one little part where I'm elaborating for them. Yeah. And so, God, thank God for the script. I can just read it and say, cut that little piece out. <laughs> Sorry, I distracted you there. So you do a whole range of digital marketing services mm-hmm. then, and you mainly focus. What did you say? Biotech and startups. Biotech and startups. We mm-hmm. um, we, we get drag kicking and screaming into other industries as well. <laughs> Like home remodeling contractors, we do a lot of their, those websites. But mm-hmm. like I said, that's not it's not a niche per choice. It's a niche because one of my friends' companies is I, we sub for them and we do their sites for them. Mm-hmm. But really, it's biotech and startups. 
And it's mm-hmm. kind of funny because biotech tend to, tends to be startups. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of all encompassing. We still do business websites for lawyers and yeah. whoever wants to wants a website. We're not going to say no. We're just yeah. not going to go after them. Right, right. And you're based in Philly. We're based just north of Philly. Yeah. About 20 miles north, but it takes an hour and 10 minutes to get this 20 miles in. <laughs> go figure. <laughs> Sounds like the traffic around here, mate. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, traffic's abominable. <laughs> So you special. So as we just said a couple of times, you specialize in startups and biotech. What is it that you like about working with early stage companies like that? They are easy to mold their idea of marketing. They mm-hmm. come in, they're saying, we have no idea what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Or they say, we know what we're doing. And you say, no, you don't. And you then train them on what they need to do. Yeah. A lot of them are very green. Mm-hmm. But you know, the idea is that they have some funding behind them that, that they can afford us. And then we mm-hmm. kind of coach them along the way because... Ghost Media is pretty much a perpetual startup. Mm-hmm. We're constantly remolding and pivoting and saying, let's try this out, let's try that out. Yeah. And, and the thing with biotech kind of came along because I'm in the biotech capital of the world. Yeah. I mean, everywhere from North Carolina straight up through Boston mm-hmm. is, is all biotech. Mm-hmm. And literally about a mile from my house is a biotech incubator. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting here in Doylestown. And I'm looking at, well, what, what, what niches do I want to be in? Because I was doing all kinds. I wanted to focus a little bit more. And I'm like, well, I want to do startups because they're, they're fun. And I'm getting mm-hmm. some startup business. Why? Well, let's focus on those. And I'm like sitting here. And then I get, get a call from the biotech center down the street. And they're like, let's, let's have coffee. And I'm like, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Let's, why not that? Because it, it can't be more blatant than <laughs> being a biotech center yeah. at, a, a mile from your house. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, and is that the advice you'd give to other people who want to do freelancing or form their own agency is to specialize and focus on what it is or just happens Yeah, I've been struggling with that, actually, because yeah. for 14 years I didn't have a focus, per se. I did everything left, right, and center. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to say a niche does not mean that you can't do other stuff. Mm-hmm. A niche means you just focus your marketing, your 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 efforts on that in those industries and go after those industries but if joe bob pool supply wants you to work for them and you want to do the website just because you're your target they're not your target doesn't mean you can't do it no one's saying you can't do this no yeah do what you want yeah yeah but it's often difficult isn't it when you're starting your own company especially when you're freelancing to get that focus you tend to say yes to everything don't you at first because you're worried you kind of have to uh, yeah i yeah, think yeah. to get some get some projects under your belt you kind of can't niche right away right you can niche i think about after a year after you have some things you can see what mm-hmm. you enjoyed the most what you enjoyed the least mm-hmm. and then decide then but you can't you, you, i find these companies that niche right away say so we're doing only doing lawyer websites mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then you're scrambling to get only lawyer websites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think your do you think your clients recognize uh, the niche expertise that you have, and it's an important thing for them? So, it, it, do you think it's important mm-hmm. that people find their niche so then they've got that value in that community? I think a lot of people think that their projects are special. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm being blunt, blunt here. I mean, a lot of people are like, "Have you ever have you ever done a pool supply company website before?" No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're not special. I can do your site. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. Like, like if I only did pool supply company websites, I'd be out of business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah. everyone thinks they're, they're special. Everyone thinks that you know mm. you need you need to have one of them in your portfolio first. Yeah. No, I mean, well, a website's a website is a website is a website. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you need to have some background knowledge, and you learn about the client as you go. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to specialize in a special site to work with that client right right and so back to your startup clients yeah is there a, is there like um advice you find yourself giving these entrepreneurs over and over again what's the most often what's the most popular so popular is the wrong word what's the most frequently given piece of advice you find yourself giving to these startups and these stop overthinking really because i think they overthink everything and mm-hmm. i think that they're kind of predisposed to that because they're vcs yeah. or at them or they're angel investors or their mom and dad for that matter for friends and family mm-hmm. rounds they're overthinking every move and sometimes mm-hmm. you just kind of got to say all right let's just throw something out there and let's mm-hmm. see how it works mm-hmm. let's not spend 10 million dollars on this thing but like just get something up there and just kind of go and stop like, think don't not think but don't overthink 
Right, right, right. And then to flip that around, um, yeah. I, I talked to a lot of marketers, obviously, on this show, as you know, because yeah. you're a listener. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, what, love the um, show. What's the, um, what, what, what advice would you give to marketers wanting to work with startups? Is it, is it the flip side of that, that they need to sort of be that guide to help these companies not overthink? Or do you think there's a certain mindset you need to work with a startup if you're a marketer? You need to be persistent. Because right. a lot of these startups are like, yeah, we want to go. And then like, they're silent for three months because right. they have to get funding. They're focusing on other things. That doesn't mean they don't want to work with you. Mm-hmm. It means that they're just busy. Right. And right. you see once a week, just drop them those saying, hey, just checking in. Mm-hmm. How are things going? Don't automatically go back to saying, when are we going to work together? Just check yeah. in. See how things are going. How's the funding round going? How's right. the incubator going? Just be a, be a colleague. Be a friend. Be a supporter. Mm-hmm. And then every once in a while, say, "Hey, are you? When, when do you think you're going to be ready to get started?" Kind mm-hmm. of thing. But persistence mm-hmm. is the one. Oh, I like that. I really like that advice, and I think that's a really good point, isn't it? Because usually a startup's got three or four important people in it, and if they're going for funding, oh, if, if, if you've ever been in that kind of environment, mm-hmm. it is twenty-four-seven, isn't it? You're just f- totally focused on trying to get that funding, and it's yeah. really hard, and and keeping the business going, and it's a real big distraction. And you want that fund, and as mm. the marketer, you want them to get the funding so they can pay yeah. for it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So back to your career, um, you mentioned being a a recovering journalist. I think was the word a recover a former recovering <laughs> a, a former journalist who's recovering. Yeah, a recovering journalist. I see yeah, that. Yeah, and it's just I think the podcasting is just an offshoot of my my love for journalism. So. Right, right, and. Um, I've actually spoken to a couple of um, senior martyrs here that started off as journalists. And I think some of that is from the storytelling. And mm-hmm. so what inspired you to take the first marketing job? How did you make that transition from being a journalist? I burned to- out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, we're talking about massive burnout. Really? Um, I, was, I, was, I was a cops reporter, you know, emergency beat reporter. Mm-hmm. I saw some pretty gnarly things. They didn't really deal with it in the moment. You know, it took six years to decompress from that job. Wow, I, was, I did it for six years, and it took another six years to decompress from it. Only recently doing that can I somewhat watch the show Chicago Fire. Mm-hmm. Because for the longest time, it would give me flashbacks. Wow. I would have full-on PTSD from that job. Wow. I, mean, I, I mean, I lived it. I loved it. I overdid it. Wow, wow. I should not have laughed. That's a serious issue. Um, it's serious. Just... I mean, because a lot of people think, all right, so you know, officers get their counseling sometimes mm-hmm. forced upon them you know, all emergency services they have counseling available to us yeah. my counseling was doing the obituary the next day oh gosh which is kind of funny because it actually was helpful because yeah. you got you got gave them closure yeah, yeah. thus you got closure because you heard about the person's story not just about them wrapped around the tree wow Wow. Yeah, it was it was it was an experience to say the least. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't get that kind of stuff now. <laughs> no, and then so uh, and so, what was your first gig? What was your first marketing gig? And how how did that go? From my doing... first marketing gig was Goldstein Media. Really? I literally rather boat rather right out of the gate. I was like, I have to get the experience to go mm-hmm. get that marketing job or that right. web design job at the time. I, right. I, it morphed into marketing, and mm-hmm. I had been doing web design on the side since '98. Wow. And so my wife, my then fiance, and my now wife was like, why don't you go back to school, just tie up the loose ends on the web design. So I went back mm-hmm. and got a certificate at University of the Arts in Philadelphia. Wow. And got started pretty much. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, you know I'm, and I'm unfortunately, fortunately, kind of wacky. I didn't look back and I kind of kept going, except for that yeah. one foray into corporate America. I really have been 15 years in this business doing my own yeah. thing. Wow, wow. And 98, I mean, that was a time, wasn't it, for, for webs- to get into websites? I mean, your timing couldn't have been better. I mean, I, yeah. what, what inspired you? Was it just you saw this thing happening on the web while creative. you were doing your journalism? It was creative. Yeah. It was, yeah. Well, in 98, I was a junior in high school, mm-hmm. and a company came, a, a, the son of a development director came to Career Day. He was mm-hmm. a web designer. Mm-hmm. And he just started talking about what you can do on the web. And I had been on the web a little bit here and there poking around. But I was like, wait, I can build something of my own on there? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And, then, you know, and then I had to figure out FTP out. I had to figure oh, out hosting out. Yeah, Remember yeah. Fr- there was a place called freeservers.com. Yep. I think they're still there, but they're all spam sites now. Yeah. So you got, I got a free server to put something on. I made websites about Abraham Lincoln because I was a history buff. I made... 
all kinds of i mean there's some of them are still out there i still every once in a while someone's like is this you i'm like no but it is that's not me (laughs) it's you from a long time ago it's a different you you can all forget the domain names after a while. I think it was a giantmomen.am.com or something like that. Wow. If that's still up there, please forgive me. It was all, it was all um, frames. <laughs> I used wow. to think this was the coolest thing, frames. I used to think they were so cool how you could just have yep. your navigation to stay and have the internal page move. Yeah. Turns out it was terrible for SEO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Flashing HTML is one of the other oh popular choices back then. <laughs> oh, the scrolling marquee. Oh, that was, that was oh, classic. Yes. Oh, man, this isn't really fair on a lot of our listeners. Anybody under the age of, I don't know, 30 or 40 or something like that as we wander down um, uh, memory lane. But yeah, I was I was I was there. I I know what I know what you mean. So um, so that's been what you've done all of all of the not just your life, almost the life of the Internet almost, isn't it? Yeah. Give or take, yeah, because you, uh, you make me feel really old, Ian. Thanks. But no, yeah, 94, 95 was the internet, yeah. you know, yeah. came out. I mean, I mean, it was, it was DARPANET, it was ARPANET, it was all that yeah. stuff before, yeah, but yeah. the internet, yeah. worldwide, ever since the World Wide Web, it was pretty much since the beginning of the World Wide Web. Imagine yeah. that, kids. Yeah. Well, crazy times. And and the crazy times of the 2000 dot-com crash and all that kind of stuff you've been through. So mm-hmm. that's, so let's bring you back a bit more up to date yeah. rather than uh, us leave, living here in the midst of time. Your podcast, Entrepreneurs yes. Enigma. Um, so that's really interesting because you're talking to entrepreneurs. What's the enigma that you're searching for in that podcast? I think in entrepreneurship in general is a giant puzzle, which is what mm-hmm. enigma stands for. Yeah, You go into it, you think you have an idea, you go for it. And you're really putting together a jigsaw puzzle and trying to figure yeah. out, will this idea work? Yeah. And plus it was a cool name and the URL was available. <laughs> Ever the pragmatic there, Seth. It's like, well, the URL was available. So what, what's the thing you've learned most or what do you think listeners learn most from your podcast, from, from the entrepreneurs you've spoken to? I think a lot of people realize that it is a grind, mm-hmm. that, that these successful entrepreneurs had their fails and they learn from them that yeah. they that we're only seeing the success now because it's public, mm-hmm. but a lot of them went through a lot of iterations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear that a lot about successful people, isn't it? The, the number of mistakes they made before they actually struck you only on hear, something. Yeah, you only hear mm. about the good things. You only hear yeah. about all the tripping that they yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how long have you been doing Entrepreneurs Enigma? About since two thousand twenty-one. Since twenty-one. Wow, wow. And you've and as if you're not busy enough, you've also got another podcast, Digital yeah, Marketing Dive. That wrapped its third season. Mm-hmm. Um, we only did 10 episodes this season because I, could, I couldn't handle more than that. <laughs> um, that one is on its third season. That one I started in 2018. Yeah. And I've had three po- co-hosts on that. So that, it's a little harder to manage because it's a co-host show. Mm-hmm. So I have to manage not only our schedules, Mm-hmm. but the guest schedule so yeah. it's like three people you have to organize and wrangle and herd yeah. so that one is a little bit more difficult to do but that's a little bit more marketing and we talk to yeah. different people we talked to Rand fishkin on there we oh, talked nice. to yeah. we get ian on there at some point um, <laughs> next season. but it's it's not it's, so I, that way i can talk to people that are maybe cmos who yeah. are you know maybe founders but, yeah. but are also in the digital marketing space so yeah yeah, and do you find that um, these two podcasts they blend with your work? So, do you talk to prospective clients and clients and that kind of stuff? Do you find that podcasting is part of your marketing strategy? Oh, Entrepreneurs and Enigma is fully a marketing tool. Right, I mean, it's it's sweet that I can be on the Marketing Podcast Network and making some money, a little mm. money, making yeah, a stipend. Yeah, yeah. yeah which is and I can argue with a few hundred dollars every three months. I mean, mm. I'm not I'm not killing it, mm-hmm. but it's getting me in front of people. That I want to talk to. Mm, yeah, and yeah. it's giving me a reason to reach out to them on LinkedIn and connect. And yeah. then they can see my, my posts and con- my connections and everything I do on there. And eventually, my ter- long term, mm. it might turn into something. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like um, what I'm doing here with Rockstar CMO. It was, it was a um, lockdown project. And I, I wanted to like reach out and talk to my network. And I thought, well, I've got to try this podcasting thing. We keep talking about it. So what better way to try it than do it? Exactly. And then, and then, what are we? This will be a, this will be episode 130. I've I've spoken wow. to over 100 unique guests, 
now I'm way beyond my network. I'm now meeting new people and all Isn't this kind fine? of stuff. So yeah, yeah and it, it is it's a great way of meeting people. I'm not sure I'm using it for business development because I'm not so much doing that. But but you never know. You, could, you never yeah. know who's going to come to your company yeah. and say, "Hey, Ian, yeah, yeah. what do you do again?" Oh, I use you. <laughs> you never know what you never know what business development comes yeah. from this stuff. No, so. no. But I think it's a. I mean, it's it's one of the things I think that you know is is a, a, the topic at the moment is should organizations should people start podcasts because there are so many so maybe we'll talk about that in a moment yeah. but we also need to get to i mean the number of things you do Seth, is yeah, amazing. i don't know how you get it done you also apart from having your business to run and two podcasts which i know from from experience is, is enough um you also have your um newsletter martin junto yeah, Mark and Junto is yeah. a weekly pot newsletter. Mm-hmm. It literally, it's, it, I kind of set it up sort of like a, a late night TV show. Yeah. So it goes from you know, my monologue to yeah. some interesting links yeah. to you know a featured podcast or something like that. I think I, you know Rockstar CMO has been a featured yeah, podcast yeah, on the newsletter. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and then my and it advertises the two podcasts as well on there. Yeah. And. I just I like I like writing. I like doing mm. stuff, and I was like, "This is a good way to kind of keep in front of people." Yeah, so. that really comes across. So that's marketing junto. So I'll include links to all of those in yeah. the in the show cool. notes so that people can find them. But I'm going to get on to our final question now, yeah. Seth. Uh, we have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Simple, where we throw all the bullshit snake hole on overhyped trends that plague this industry we love. What would you like to chuck in? podcasting platforms everyone is trying to do a podcasting platform and it's like they don't seem to do it right i mean we have youtube doing youtube might work youtube is doing their own kind of podcasting area because people post their even their audio podcasts up yeah. with a graphic on youtube but now twitter is trying to do something with spaces and podcasts i'm like guys enough mm. Eventually, someone's going to come out with a tool that's going to syndicate to everywhere, but it's just like, yeah, yeah, it's well, exhausting for, thing to keep up with. <laughs> well, I think for me, well, I mean, as I look at podcasting, I think it needs a hero, though. I mean, if you look at short form video, it's got a hero, TikTok, yeah. um, and and, and Twi- Twitter, the short form content. Podcast hasn't quite got that, it hasn't got that discoverability, it hasn't got that algorithm, it hasn't got yeah. that that big tech machine behind podcasts that tries to... But do we to... want the big tech behind it? That's the thing. It's kind of nice that we're young and scrappy still. Well, that, that's true. And um, that's true. That's true. But it, it, the, the discoverability of podcasts yeah. still needs to get figured out. But I agree with you. I think they're all trying to do it and none of them have been successful so far. So it sounds like a good candidate for the pool to me. Exactly. So I'm, I'm excited to see where Twitter's thing goes. Yeah. It, might, it, might, it might flounder or might, you know, fly away perfectly. Yeah. No pun intended. See, yeah. Well, I mean, they bought the newsletter thing as well, didn't they? Um, you have so, a review. Yeah, they bought yeah. a review, which mm-hmm. is interesting. I don't think anyone, I know a few people have used it. Most people use it to collect the email addresses and they go using their ESP. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I should be sending a newsletter as part of Rockstar CMO. And anybody who's a subscriber, thank you very much. I'm sorry. I haven't sent anything for about a year. It is actually, I actually switched across and I thought I'd give it a go. So if anybody ever receives an email from Rockstar CMO next time, (laughs) I do that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Seth. Well, it was splendid catching up with you. It's always good to stay in touch and talk all things podcast with you when we're not recording. But thanks for being a friend of the show. And um, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Mostly go to actually you search for Seth M is in Michael Goldstein. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can find me right away. You find yeah. you go for Seth Goldstein. I'm like on page three because there's a lot apparently <laughs> a lot more famous Seth Goldsteins than me. So Seth M Goldstein, you can find me right. all over the Google GoldsteinMedia.com. Mm-hmm. You do go to LinkedIn and search for Seth Goldstein. I'm, I'm right. prolific on LinkedIn. Right. And then we've got Twitter. Entrepreneurs Enigma. We've got Digital Marketing Dive and Marketing Junto the newsletter. And I'll include yeah. links to all that stuff. Uh, yeah, and I'm also a father and a dog father. I don't know how. And a husband. I have no idea how you get all this done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't sometimes. Uh, well, congratulations, mate. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. Cheers, buddy. Awesome. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Thank you, Seth. That was wonderful to reminisce about the dawn of us using the interwebs. And some good advice there if you want to do your own gig or work with startups. I will, of course, include all of Seth's links in the show notes. Right, it's the end of the week. Time to wind down, and we're better than the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar, where I find my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory, for a cocktail and a marketing thought. 
Good evening, Muppets. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the... It has been a long week, and it is mm. the... You know, I guess we are on the cusp. I, I don't know. Do you do you have a long weekend coming up here? We just um, had one. So you've you, just had you've one. Got, yeah, yeah. So you've got your long weekend, and we had a short week this week. So we that's just had right. A okay, long weekend. Uh, yeah. So yes, we are on the cusp of a long weekend, and I know nice. many of my colleagues are very happy to be here because it's been a <laughs> August has been a very weird month yeah. uh, in the world of uh, business, um, and so. Having said that, um, I have mm-hmm. prepared a special cocktail um, for uh, for what has been across the U.S. an incredibly hot uh, summer, um, mm-hmm. and you know, my it, it is so weird because we are living the world of extremes here in the U.S. Because we have on the eastern side of the country, it just seems to never stop raining, and it's you know basically mm-hmm. you know flooding everywhere and tornadoes and all of that, and then here in the west. Of course, we have a drought, extreme drought, hot, dry, and just absolutely, you know, crazy kinds of, of dry heat. So we are living the, the the extremes. And so I thought we'd finish off, you know, here as we enter into September with a summer punch. Mm-hmm. Um, and because we just need something to cool us down and, and make us feel a little better. And so this is a... a, a, a recipe that I've used for a while um, as a lovely summer punch that's just sort of, you know, a nice drink at the end of the day. And it starts with vodka um, mm-hmm. because why not? Let's have, let's, let's not <laughs> taste anything. Like, you know what I mean? Let's make it as tasteless as we possibly can. Um, and then um, I, I love putting in, so I'm a big fan of sort of the liqueur uh, mm-hmm. as, as you've heard me say on these uh, shows before. Um, so two liqueurs here that are can be a little difficult to find. Um, the grapefruit liqueur and any brand that you choose or that is your favorite and an elderflower liqueur, which yeah. is really a lovely way to uh, put in a dash of something. And then a little lemon juice, fresh lemon juice, as always. And then some people like syrup, I, you know, as you know, yeah. from many, many recipes, I'm not a big fan of the syrups of any kind, yeah. but you could put in uh, a, a muddled strawberry or just stick a strawberry in there, a cut strawberry in there, if you like, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, mix all that together. And you have a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, summer punch. Also, wow. if you prefer it sparkling... Um, I can add a dash in or a little bit of a topper of a wonderful rosé prosecco, um, which is wow. also very, very refreshing as well. Wow! Yeah, I was just looking at that because I do write notes when you tell me things, um, and I was thinking, there's no mixer in that. It's just vodka and two liqueurs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's that's some hard summer punch you got there, my friend. Well, you know, like I said. It's been a long month. <laughs> That's right. Well, here's the thing: when you put it over ice, the ice melts, yeah, and it course. makes it a you know it makes it does yes. make it a bit of a you know all right of a thing. Yeah, well, but speak, speaking of, speaking of ice, I'm going to start off with some ice. Yeah. And I shall, for the new listeners, I shall now attempt to make that very same drink using only the ingredients on my desktop bar. So I'm going to start off with the most, um, as it turns out, Scottish of vodkas, uh, some Hendrix gin. Uh, who don't support this show in any way, apart from the fact that I imbibe their their liquor while we're talking. And then you put in some nice, flavourful uh, liqueurs. And I'm going to put in something that the nice people at v- Fever Tree have mixed up for me, which is some tonic water with some cucumber. Ah, yes. Yeah. Cucumber, the most English of elderflowers. Uh, yes. <laughs> and liqueurs, actually, yes. As As things go. I'm going to give that a try. Oh, that's delicious, Robert. And very good for a hot day like this. Very nice. I could drink one of these every week. And what are we calling that? Uh, We're just calling it a summer punch. And it does give you a punch. Let me be be very, very clear. It is about getting punched. (laughs) It is indeed. It is indeed. Especially when you put that much gin in. Mm. Well, okay. (laughs) There you go. This is the point. This is the point. Well, that's delicious. So um, where will we be drinking these summer punches this week? 
well, we have to get out of this heat. That is that is absolutely mm. the case. So we have to get mm. out of the U.S. for sure. And I'm thinking we have to get north. Um, and I'm thinking of, I was just watching this wonderful documentary about Alaska, actually. And uh, the summers in Alaska, are, I mean, I've been to Alaska and it's absolutely spectacular. Now, when I was there, it was the fall um, and it was just starting to get cool. Um, but the late summer in Alaska can just be absolutely spectacular. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think we find ourselves somewhere um, along a rocky coast somewhere on, on, in some, I'm sure, you know, they don't have a lot of fine dining, uh, in Alaska, <laughs> but finding some place where we can drink these summer punches in a, in a <laughs> relatively cool, and I say relatively cool, um, area mm-hmm. where we can watch the water, the dramatic and see the mountains behind us and, and, uh, <laughs> see the end of summer sort of end. That sounds splendid. And I would imagine, apart from your fine dining, I, I wonder if you're going to have trouble finding grapefruit liqueur and elderflower liqueur as well. Oh, I'll bring it all with us. Guys. You know, we'll, bring, we'll bring all the liquor with us because it is within the U.S. So I can I can carry it all in my, I can carry it all in my bag. I love it. I've never been to Alaska. Is it a bit like the Nordics, you know, long nights, long days during the summer and long nights in the winter and all that kind of good That's stuff? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds really nice. So we're sipping these drinks. Uh, we're enjoying the last of the summer in, in Alaska. Uh, and talk turns to marketing. What are we going to be talking about this week? Alex? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about change. Um, and and what I've noticed that there's something interesting that happens. And I don't know why it's taken me this long to find this and see this pattern. But it's a challenge that I see again and again and again, which is when we start looking at incremental improvements, the, there's often a case where incremental improvements fail to provide any level of excitement to motivate any kind of change. What I mean by that is, is that, you know, you've got something that's suboptimal in the business, right? You know, it's maybe it's a content process. Maybe it's the way that you do the website. Maybe it's the way that you manage digital assets. Maybe it's the way that you do paid media, whatever it is. It's broken, but it's not so broken as to be disastrous, right? It's just suboptimal. And mm-hmm. and so the anticipated pain of changing into something different or new feels greater than the pain that might arise if you change nothing. Um, mm. and, in other words, it, it, you know, we're, we're driving on three wheels, but we're driving. And so, <laughs> you know, changing that, you know, stopping to change the tire feels like too much work basically yeah and so it's this weird catch-22 because nobody wants to throw out any existing approach to this because they worked hard on it and they're continuing to work hard on it and it's you know they're busy it's like nobody it's like Mm -hmm. nobody's going oh i've got so much time that we can try this new wonderful process that's net new and they so they start questioning whether any reinvention at all are going to prove as amazing, you know, or as wonderful mm-hmm. as, 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 as it was promised. And there was actually, you know, even 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago now, Seth Godin actually wrote about this, trying to make something incrementally better. And what he said, um, and this is a quote from him, he said, if you define yeah. success as getting closer and closer to some mythical perfection, some agreed upon standard, it's really difficult to become remarkable. Uh, basically, you can't get rounder than round. And what he was talking right. about was how hard it is to actually make those incremental changes because it's often, you know, you're focusing so much time on those incremental changes that you're not yeah. spending any time reinventing yourself. And so, but the quote has stayed with me. Um, and I've been thinking about this, this, these, you know, the new, the idea of new and selling change when things aren't that bad. And it, came to a head recently. I was working with this client and, you know, the content team was suffering, right? They were, it was not a good thing. They were basically this on-demand vending machine from every other part of the business, (laughs) mostly product marketing, right? They were just getting requests and requests and requests and requests. And so the product team didn't know that the requests that they were putting in, because they're all siloed, were so much of it was duplicative and so much of it was, you know, stuff that mm-hmm. really shouldn't get created to begin with. And the content team couldn't really say no because they were getting it from all these different angles. And so we recommended that they change the process, right? They add this 
content planning to their development process and add in this new workflow that might help them get insight into what should get created, what should be prioritized, what should be added. And basically the content team was like, yay, new change. We're all for it. This is going to help us. But the product marketing team went, my world isn't broken, so I don't care. So adding something to my workflow is not going to help me. So therefore, why am I changing? And so they didn't change. And so then you go, oh, okay, well, then what happened? Well, nothing happened. Nobody got fired. No massive failures occurred. Everybody just went back to doing the way the things they were doing. And the problem is, is that now the content team is sort of in this rut and they're just not inspired. And so the, the lesson that I have learned is, is that there, there may be value. There may be simply value in doing something new just because we don't do it now. In other words, there is value in trying something new just because it's new and Mm -hmm. because it gives us a new perspective. It gives us a new perspective. And so what I want to tell that product marketing team is, no, you're right. It may not be beneficial to you, but it might be. And you won't know until you actually take the new perspective. In other words, it may be that driving on three wheels is okay, but if you add the fourth, you may have a completely different perspective about what driving even means. And so that's the kind of thing, and it's a really hard thing. I don't have a good pat answer for it, but it's a really interesting thing to me to watch businesses these days be so reluctant to new because they believe, quote unquote, we don't know how. And they equate with we don't know how to it's inefficient. And that's a mistake, I think, because new can sometimes be better simply because it's new. Yeah. Plus, I think that, um, like you're saying, like trying something new creates a new habit of trying something new, doesn't it? And the problem is, is there is no history or culture of trying something new so you don't try something new but if you just throw these things in every now and again you create that right that agility i guess yeah it's that you know it's that classic um you know i mean there's the classic thing that when we're you know for us as individuals right you know how many times have you said to yourself oh i'm not going to delegate that task because it would just take too long to teach somebody to do that and therefore i'll just do it myself i'll just continue to do it myself and so, and so you never do spend the time to teach the new process mm-hmm. to yourself or to the person that you would delegate it to. And thus yeah. you never get the perspective of what it would be like to actually not have to do that task, to actually delegate it. And so yeah. it prevents you from growing. It prevents you from doing things. And it's the, it's the refusal to even try that's the problem. It's not mm-hmm. the actual thing itself. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. And, and you feel really sorry for that content team because... The problem is, is that often happens in organizations isn't it? Where, the, where there is a squeaky, there's friction and squeaky, and the people closest to it can see that. It's just that it's really then very hard to communicate that pain outwards, isn't it? Because it's your friction and your squeaky wheel, and you are not empowered to make that change. But it, you know it would be better for the organization if it did. That's right. And that's the other mm. insidious part of yeah. this is when... Yeah. It's sort of a, you know, it's the NIMBY thing, right? Which is not yeah. in my backyard. And yeah. so change is fine as long as it doesn't involve me, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, which yeah. is, which is, is hard and really hard in business. And especially when, for the parts of the business that don't have any power to execute change, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. you know, it, it's the classic Jerry Seinfeld, right? It's one thing to take the reservation. It's another thing <laughs> to actually hold the car, hold the reservation, you know? <laughs> You know, it's one thing to say the change, but it's another thing to actually make it. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny because I um, <laughs> I actually did a presentation uh, last week, at an event for the first time for ages since pre-COVID. And um, I actually used a story of me going to Hertz and, and having that Seinfeld experience. And then you're thinking, I probably need to explain to a lot of these people who Seinfeld is. You know? Nice. So, <laughs> You tell it a lot better than I do. I love that. I love that 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 scene. That's excellent. All right, mate. So, um, and, and I do hope there's a happy ending for that content team. 
I do. I hope there is too. I, there isn't <laughs> thus far, but 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 there. Hopefully, there will be down the road. Yes. All right, buddy. So, um, for happy endings that people might read about, where <laughs> oh, might dear. they find oh, those? Oh my! Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Let's not go there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll try and rephrase that. Um, yeah. Where on the interwebs where people where might people find <laughs> stories like that, Robert? The, you might find it <laughs> on our website. Suddenly, I became seventeen years old. I'm not sure. Um, uh, You'll find it on our website at contentadvisory.net. Cool. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Uh, LinkedIn is my main uh, uh, platform of choice these days, and I'd love to connect with each and every one of you. Splendid. And uh, more important for me, as I'm quite selfish about these things, will I see you in the bar next week? You will indeed. I look forward to it, mate. Thank you very much. I'll see you then. Thank you, Robert. There we go. We all love change apart from when it happens to us. So that's a wrap on episode 130 of the Rockstar CMO Airfig Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Seth and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello to them. I'll include all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favourite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.com. You can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. So does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Let us know on the socials or please drop a rating or review in your favorite podcast app. Or <laughs> just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff is back in the marketing studio. I go backstage with Andrew Davis, CMO at Paddle. And Robert will be back in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.